If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, what we're going to do tonight is read verses 1 through 23. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Uh, Because we've been away from Daniel for um, two Sundays, I just want to remind you where we're at. Daniel, uh, in the previous chapter, had had a dream, and it, it disturbed him, and he He threatened all the wise men of uh, Babylon, if you can't tell me the dream, I'm going to put you to death. And finally, as the soldiers are sent out, they come to Daniel, and Daniel says, give us time, and I will tell you the interpretation. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar exactly what he dreamed and what it means. Now, he, he told him, of all these kingdoms that will come, and the, the, the kingdom of Babylon is this gold head, and they describe silver and bronze and iron mixed with clay of all these kingdoms that will come and once will be wiped away by a rock, a stone that fills the whole earth, and the kingdom lasts forever. And then we come to chapter 3. And, and I think uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what he heard was, ah, head of gold, that's me. <laughs> I'll show you what this statue looks like. I'll take what was in my mind and I'll put it before you in all its glory. And so he builds this massive statue of gold, setting up a God. That's where we are this morning as we arrive at Daniel chapter 3. Let me read beginning with verse 1 through 23. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors and treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, As soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They, They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed 
over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. This is God's Word for His people. Can I pray? Our gracious God, we thank You that You have given us Your Word. You've shown us from the beginning of it to the end that You are Lord over all of the earth. Lord, draw near to us. Reveal Yourself to us. Give us faith like these men. Lord, we thank You for Your mercy and the love that You have shown toward us that You indeed are God who delivers. We pray that Jesus would be magnified in these next few moments, Lord, as we turn to Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This evening, as we consider the unshakable faith of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I don't want to call them by their pagan names, we'll consider two points. Who is the God who will deliver you? And two, God is a consuming fire. First, who is the God who will deliver you? King Nebuchadnezzar, as you saw, has fashioned for himself a God of gold that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he sets it up on the plain of Dura in Babylon. And it had to be this thing of wonder. Can you imagine it glimmering and shining in the sun? 
For Nebuchadnezzar, it was an expression of his power, of his, his wealth, and I'd say even of his own conceit. It came from his mind. Nebuchadnezzar literally thought this God up and made it. Verse 1, the king made an image of gold. I want you to think about that for a moment. The phrase is repeated over and over again in this chapter. The image that the king made. The king set up. It's nothing more than the imagination of man. By his own will, he has completely fabricated on the spot a new God. He has fashioned a God with his own hands. Probably it's a representation of himself. That's what he heard from the dream. I'm the kingdom of Babylon. The people will worship me. I am the head. And what he's done in setting up this God, he has made arbitrary rules of what it looks like to worship this God. He said, when you hear the music, when the band kicks up, verse 5, you must fall down and worship this God. And if you don't, arbitrary as it may seem, you will be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. I want you to understand what we see here really is, it's satanic, is it not? What we see here is a mock God, mock worship, and even mock judgment to make a mockery of the God of the Bible. And when it comes right down to it, would you entrust yourself to a God who was formed from the mind of man with arbitrary rules? You see, what's taking place on the plains of Dura is as old as the earth. You go back to the garden. Adam and Eve in the temptation. Part of the temptation was become like God's yourself. And if we go to the plain of Dura in the past, back in Genesis, this is not the first time that something of this epic nature has happened in the plains of Shinar, on the plains of Dura, when the people gathered together and thought to themselves, the nations, it says, were all of one language, and they, they gather on the plains of Dura, and they say, let us build for ourselves something that stretches up to the heavens. And the purpose for it was to displace God, to make a name for ourselves, they said. The Tower of Babel. God looks down and He sees it and He confuses them. He confuses what was one language and it says that He gave them all kinds of different languages and then dispersed them out over the earth. And then you see we come to Daniel 3. And it's almost a, a recapitulation of the Tower of Babel, but with this mocking twist, the nations have come back together. Verse 4, and a, a herald proclaims aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, when you hear the music, fall down and worship this new God. A God made to displace the God of heaven. This is Satan's 
mockery of God. It mimics the work of salvation, that is the gathering of the nations and the worship that should be rendered unto the God of heaven is given to some man-made golden image. It even goes as far as to mock and mimic the judgment of God for all that do not fall down and worship this thing that Nebuchadnezzar has made will be thrown into the fire. In fact, it mocks the worship of God. What we see in Revelation 7, 9-10, through 10, it mocks the worship that should be rendered under the true and holy God. It says that the tribes, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on His throne, the Lamb. Do you see the mockery of what's happening on the plains of Dura? This is the kind of worship that should be rendered to the true and only God. And so the question and the first point is, who is the God who will deliver you? It will never be the idols of this world. It will only be the God of heaven and earth. And it is in this context, in this culture, that Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah will be called to answer this very question when Nebuchadnezzar calls them before him to ask, why aren't you bowing down when the music plays? I'll give you one more chance. But you either do it, or you're going to die. And he says in verse 15, thumping his chest, who is the God that would deliver you from My hands? The question's been put straight to them. In fact, there's no more pointed question that could be put to any human being on this earth. Who is the God who will deliver you? Now, I know you're at church. You know the answer when a question like that is asked. I want you to probe your heart for a minute. What idols are found there? Is there anything raised up in your own heart that displaces God? Wealth. The pursuit of wealth. The comfort that comes from wealth. Is it work? Is it your own children? Is it sports? Is it your appearance? Is it your hobbies? Is there anything in your life this hour that makes such demands on your heart that it causes God to be on the back burner. Now, if, of any of those idols, of which our heart, by the way, can so easily raise up, which of those idols can deliver you? Would you trust your life to the things that this culture demands us to worship, I tell you, there is only one God. One God 
one way of salvation, one hope, one Lord. Who is the God who can deliver you? And what do you need delivering from? It's not a fiery furnace, but it is the wrath of God. Who is the God who will deliver you? Who can deliver you from that wrath? It is Jesus Christ. And there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved, but by Him. As I was in Israel seeing the kingdoms, uh, seeing the remains of kingdoms, you, you, you travel around and it's just, there's, there's a, a big hill over here and a big hill over here and the guide will point out and say, used to be a huge uh, set of walls up there, a king used to live up there. But all you see is stacks of rubble. And some of these giant hills are called tells in, in which layer after layer after layer a kingdom has been built upon another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom until it creates a giant hill. And museums are filled with the remains of what is left of those kingdoms. City after city put their trust in gods that they fashioned with their own hands or walls that they thought would never be breached. And I saw in Israel's museum the gods of Babylon and the gods of Egypt and the gods of Canaan and even the gods that Israel, who knew Yahweh, bowed down and worshipped. Gods that had to be picked up by somebody's hands out of the rubble of a city that no longer stood and carried and placed behind glass gods that could never have delivered and did not and were left in the dust of the earth covered by rocks. Where is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? Where is Nebuchadnezzar's god of gold on the plains of Dura? It is dust in the wind. Who is the God who will deliver you? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were asked that question. And when the rubber met the road, all around them, people everywhere are laying prostrate before this golden God. And there they stand as the furnace pours out its smoke next to them. And they consider their life who is the God that will deliver them? And it's stunning that they would rather face the fire of the furnace than the wrath of this and the, and the wrath of this earthly king than the disdain and the disdain of the culture that surrounds them than face the God who has saved them and preserved them. Friends, I hope this is your resolve tonight. That there is one hope. There is one, only one, who delivers and promises to deliver. Christ Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by Him. He is the only one who will deliver you. So having put the question to you as it was put to these three men, who is the God who will deliver you? Let us consider our second point. God is a consuming fire. After the question was put to these three men, 
the threat on their life made clear, and the expectation of submission, they give answer. This is what they said. Verses 16. If I can find that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar thumped his chest, didn't he, in verse 15. Who will deliver you out of my hand? And the answer of these three men is quite bold. We don't even have to answer you in this matter. God will show you Himself. Now imagine Nebuchadnezzar sitting there going, well, that's rich. Coming from some servants. My servants. My my servants whom their God could not protect them as I took their city and took them from their homes and brought them here that they might serve me. Oh, that's rich. This God's going to protect you. And you might wonder what gave Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah such confidence in their God as they find themselves in exile. They have seen what is the outcome of idolatry. As it was warned in Judah, if you don't turn and worship me alone, that you would be given over to your enemies because of unfaithfulness to God. One theologian says this concerning these three men. In their response to Nebuchadnezzar, they were unsure of God's circumstantial will. You kind of can sense this here. They actually don't know what's going to happen. The question wasn't whether they will live or not. But they were sure of this. God's revealed will. That He had said to Israel, You shall have no other gods beside me. And this was good enough for them to stake their life on it. The truth of the matter is that these three men are consumed with a thought that overpowers the fear one might have in facing a fiery furnace. God is a consuming fire. That it is the judgment of God is the thing that is to be most feared. And they have already tasted some of it as they lost their homes and they've been taken away to a foreign country and they aren't about to taste that wrath again. And here you have Nebuchadnezzar in his wrath. Because they won't obey, he heats the furnace seven times hotter and men are bound in their clothes and tossed in the fire and it was so hot that the ones who carried them there died from its heat. And because we cut it off here, you're going to have to wait for next week. But this is one of those most well-known stories, right? But let the matter settle in your mind. For it was settled in the mind of these three men. In life or death. Compliance to the king's demands and the pressure of the culture paled in comparison to the God who is with them who has given them sweet promises. They had an unshakable faith. A reverent awe, a consuming thought that their God is a consuming fire and that they would throw themselves upon His mercy rather than look for it 
in Nebuchadnezzar. I can't help but think of the lesson here. If the theme of the book of Daniel is that God rules over all the kingdoms of this world and that He alone is Lord, how is that being revealed to us here in chapter 3? You see, the nations can rage and the kings of this world can plot and threaten. And the wise men of this age can point their fingers at those who fear God and single them out and mock them. And the fiery furnace of persecution can be stoked. But Hebrews 12 tells us, as God says yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made. Where can the idol be found? It has been removed. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be uh, grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Though it is Nebuchadnezzar's wrath and his fire that he stokes, let it not be lost on us that fire is a common symbol of judgment. Elsewhere in Scripture, it falls from heaven on the enemies of God or it consumes the sacrifice on the altar in the place of a sinner. And what Nebuchadnezzar or Satan has set up as mock worship with a mock God and mock judgment, there is nonetheless a true reality in it all. There is a real God who desires real worship and has real judgment. And those who do not bow the knee to the God of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah Face the God who is a consuming fire. The truth of the matter is, is that what we see here is real faith. We are to throw ourselves wholly upon Christ. To trust in the One who has purchased us from the fire of God's judgment by His own sacrifice upon the cross. To be determined to trust in God rather than bend the knee and the heart in sin. So in final application, no one's setting up golden images outside this building for us to bow down to now. But idolatry is so much more subtle in this day and age. The culture makes it strong demands and it determines what it is we must believe and what is truth. And it tells us what is evil. And in fact, it calls evil good. And it tells us that God's Word is, is even hate speech. And there's no fiery furnace yet. But there is a felt consequence when we do not comply with the gods of this age. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm in Jesus Christ and His Word. Our God is a consuming fire. And like all kingdoms, past and present, the Lord of heaven and earth will reign supreme. Have an unshakable 
faith. Be steadfast, immovable. Trust in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.